0: Welcome to AEC Marketing for Principles, brought to you by Smartogies, where we help design and construction firms navigate sales and leverage marketing to win more projects. Here are your hosts, Katie Cash and Judy Sparks.
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the AEC Marketing for Principals podcast. Today, Judy and I are joined by a longtime friend and a regular buyer of both design and construction services, Mr. Scott Jones. Scott currently serves as the Assistant Vice President of Facilities, Design, and Construction at the Georgia Institute of Technology. He's been there for a number of years. We're really excited to have you with us today, Scott. So welcome to the show. Thank you. You know, we love talking with owners like yourself because you are quite interesting. You know, not only did you come from a family of builders, but when you decided to pursue a career on your own, you didn't go the family route and go into construction right away. You decided to pursue a degree in architecture, and then before you joined Georgia Tech, I know you spent some time both in the US and abroad working in the private sector so you've you've kind of seen a little bit of everything before you came to Georgia Tech where you started in your role where you are actively pursuing and Promoting your projects for the campus. So, maybe you could share a little bit with our listeners kind of your background, your career journey, and maybe what your responsibilities look like at the campus in your current role.
2: Well, I've managed design and construction um, my whole career. I've done it as an architect initially with John Portman Associates, and then later on as a contractor and then a developer down in uh, Keough Island, which is a real dream job. Um, <laughs> And now I do it basically as an owner. Uh, we're running a, essentially a captive program management operation for Georgia Tech. We manage design, all their design and construction projects. We also have some design and engineering capacity in-house, a lot of um, interior projects, lab projects, smaller projects. So kind of run the gambit uh, with that. And the way we do our business development here at Georgia Tech is um, – expectation management and making sure our stakeholders are happy because <laughs> it just comes at us like a fire hose. I mean, it's somewhere around 350 to 450 million a year in, in different stages, uh, in, anywhere from planning to design and construction. In planning, though we're not responsible for, we're uh, a partner with CPSM and try to make sure that when things do get launched, they're launched in the right footing with the right budgets and schedules.
0: Scott, I have to say, you really are unique in terms of having a holistic view of the entire design and construction process, um, from an owner standpoint as a practitioner standpoint. I would say, and I'm always telling people that you're you're quite sophisticated buyer um, compared to maybe some of your counterparts in the higher education space. And with that sophistication comes some expectations. So I would love for you to just expand on you know at Georgia Tech with you know your description of you know it's coming at you um, nonstop drinking from a fire hose you know what are your baseline expectations um, from the design and construction community when working with you
2: uh, it starts with listening um, to what the needs are and I have I regularly meet with people that have never done business at Georgia Tech and who want to know how to do that and I basically tell them the same thing on where to find our work and how to pursue it. And it starts with listening and taking a hard look at what our real needs are. And don't just throw canned material at us, but do you have the resources in in house to, to do our projects or not? If you don't save your powder, because there are lots of people that will, Um, but it's really that simple. I think.
0: So, um, for those who haven't had the pleasure of meeting with you in person and hearing that standard answer of where, <laughs> and all of those uh, tips and tricks on how to to you know be a better listener, can you share with our listeners you know where do you advertise your work? How do they find out about what's coming up? Um, give them a little bit of a lay of the land there.
2: Everything we do is uh, posted out on the Georgia Procurement website. Um, and you can sign up to that and be very specific about what you're looking for, and you will receive an email when something is posted. The only advance notice that uh, precedes that is when we seek permission through the Board of Regents for a project, and that is also public record. Our policy here is we don't talk about it unless it's already out publicly released with that kind of information flow. So we typically don't talk about what's coming down the pipe. Everybody wants to know that, but we don't really do that because we have a capital plan and it changes yearly. <laughs> so I could look at the top one, two, or three projects that were on that plan. And there's no point in talking about it because they're not funded, number one. Number two, the funding constraints can change either within the state or within people who are donating money. And so once we send it to the Board of Regents and say, okay, we'd like to do this project, that's public record. And then very soon after that, it'll be posted on the Georgia Procurement website, uh, starting with the solicitation for architectural engineering and then contractor if we're going to use construction management or design build. Otherwise, it'll be bid. Um, sometimes with we'll select bid, but always through the Georgia Procurement website.
1: I think that's really helpful for a number of our listeners just trying to figure out exactly where to monitor and, and what those opportunities might look like. And Scott, you mentioned a few things. You mentioned, you know, annual volume, you're you're roughly looking at 450 maybe $500 million of construction volume projects you and your team are managing. And you mentioned capital planning and a handful of other things. I'm curious if you could maybe um, just speak broadly about the different ways that you might engage firms. Like, I, I don't know if Georgia Tech does task order contracts, for example, or is there an on-call service contracts for, you know, architecture and design services? Is there a pre-qualified pool? Is it? Do you hire one-off? Do you hire for the year? Kind of maybe share a little bit of that insights with our listeners.
2: Yes, we do a variety of things. We, we started the program in the state, uh, the first ones to launch um, what we call IDIQs, indefinite delivery, definite quantity contracts for design, and engineering and other pre-con services. Uh, when I got here, I looked around and there wasn't anything like that. And I said, oh, well, we'll get this done. We'll, we'll launch that in six months. It took like two years because we had to invent a contract with the Georgia uh, Attorney General but we have a, a cadre of, of those in every imaginable um, trade or specific uh, area of engineering. And on the construction side, we had um, something that I didn't think was working very well when I got here. That was um, sort of like a job order contract, but the way things were priced was more a function of means in that database. I've never had much success with and, we change that into a task order type uh, contract format, which is sort of like a, a construction management contract. Both the IDIQ and the task orders, the initial contract is issued for $0, but you have capacity. On the design side, it's 600000 annually. On the construction side, it's $2.5 million. Um, that could be, you know, a dozen small projects or several large ones. We use, usually don't use those for large projects and we try to spread it around so that if we're on the construction side, if we're working in three or four buildings in the same zip code, we might have one task order doing three or four projects so that we can share general conditions and therefore save money.
1: What would you, how would you define large projects? Kind of what's that that dollar value threshold?
2: The way I look at it is I don't like to say small projects. I say special projects. Our, sure. our small yeah. projects group is, is our special projects group. And Special projects—you um, could have a million-dollar project that's highly complex, um, or you could have a five-million-dollar project that's real simple. In general, if you want to look at scale, it's probably around five million. That anything over five million is is considered a capital project because we have a Chuck Road that runs facility management has a delegated authority for construction up to five million and design up to six hundred thousand. Um, any project over a million dollars. However, in construction value, we have to go down to the Board of Regents and ask Mother May I, you know, we've got this project, we've got this funding, you know, here's how it's going to be set up. And it goes through, gets the board approval. And that was what I spoke of earlier, which is the first time that it would be in the public arena, typically, uh, unless there's been some strategic fundraising done for it, which then is also a way to see things.
1: Scott, I really appreciate you kind of talking about going down to Board of Regents and asking, you know, Mother, may I, you know, we'd really like to have this project. But there's also, um, my understanding at Georgia Tech, there's another kind of funding mechanism that might come through your campus foundation. Can you speak a little bit about how that is set up and what what projects might be coming out of the foundation versus from the mothership that might be Board of Regents?
2: Um, When you say coming out of, uh, I would interpret that to mean the way they are funded. Uh, as far as we are concerned, the way projects operate, it's all George Washington. It's all it's all money. And we operate the same way, uh, regardless of the funding source. We have the same form of contract generally. Um, any border of Regents project has a certain set of contracts that are available on the web. Um, when we do business with uh, one of the affiliated organizations, we will have a, a different contract, but it's very, very similar.
1: Um, when the foundation is involved, does that, does that change maybe any of the procurement process or the makeup of your selection committee teams?
2: Typically not. Okay. We, we will have, if there's an affiliated organization, uh, we may have a representative uh, from that board in the room. Uh, if it 's a large capital project, uh, they certainly would would have representation, um, but we would just like any project, we have multiple stakeholders that are represented, and they would be one of them.
0: Scott, can you speak um, a little bit to the makeup of your typical selection committee and um, I also know that Georgia Tech does something pretty innovative and unique in that you have what 's called a PDC jury that weighs in on some of your selections. Can you elaborate on both of those items?
2: Typically, the if it's a project that's going through the Board of Regents and or if it has GSFIC involvement from state bond financing, then they will be involved in the selection committee. We will have a couple of representatives. They will have a couple of representatives. And usually it's uh, myself or, or somebody in my leadership team on our side, maybe somebody from capital planning. And then on the Board of Regents, they will have their staff so you've got you've got sort of that aspect of it Um, when it goes into when they're not involved if it's just a project that is a uh, funded completely separately by one of our affiliated organizations then we would have a set of stakeholders that are design and construction capital planning space management and whoever We are serving with the project, so College of Engineering, College of Sciences, whoever the project is for, GTAA, for instance, the Athletic Association, or GTRI.
0: So, Scott, it's hard to think about Georgia Tech separate from Midtown Atlanta, and as you all have for many years crossed over the interstate and and definitely having an impact on the footprint of Midtown can you share with us anything that's public knowledge about you know, the vision for Georgia Tech's presence and expansion across the interstate?
2: Uh, not really. I, I think we, we are on the cusp of, um, you know, we just finished the, the CODA project, uh, and we're already looking at what's next. And um, what's next will be um, public knowledge pretty soon.
0: Okay, fair enough. I want to go back to something you said earlier about delivery methods. Um, You know, you all have used every delivery method and hybrids of methods, and what are some of the the determining factors that determine which delivery method you will utilize on a project, Um, whether it's traditional design bid build, uh, CM at risk, or design build?
2: I think it has um – to do primarily with the levels of complexity in the timing. Um, If we have all the time in the world, you can take a set of drawings and make sure it's 100% complete and bid it. Um, If it's fairly simple, then that works. The more complex projects and the more complex, not just in what you're trying to achieve, but also within the logistics spectrum of complexity, meaning you could have a project that must be done in three or four phases, Um, and we're in an active campus, so everything we do impacts operations typically. Those kinds of projects will lend themselves to other methodologies like construction management uh, at risk or design-build. If uh, time is of the essence, you're trying to finish something from a a clean sheet to a completed building as quickly as possible, design-build comes into it. For instance, we used bridging for the first time uh, here. Uh, It wasn't the first time I asked to use it, but it was the first time we actually did use it. (laughs) Out in Cobb County, the work we did at Lockheed, because we went in and bought property from Lockheed, and we could not occupy it until we had removed every utility, including, you know, not just water and, and gas and electricity, but also the sewer which was all interconnected with Lockheed. And all of that had to be removed and rerouted and completely separated and isolated before we could occupy it. So here we are closing. We got It's a big investment, a lot of money, a lot of cash flow going out. So I wanted to compress the amount of time that we were spending money without being able to use the facility. So we used bridging and very successfully compressed that time by at least nine months.
1: I think that's great. You know, Scott, I think it, it's hard to talk about Georgia Tech and your team and what you're doing without really talking about innovation and kind of pushing the industry forward with each of the projects that you and your team undertake with with the group. I'm thinking, you know, you mentioned there about utilizing bridging. I know in the past you guys have kind of pushed the envelope on the capabilities of BIM technology. You've also, um, you know, developed a carbon neutral facility. Can you talk a little bit about innovation and how you're bringing that scope of innovation into maybe the, the project discussions themselves, maybe even into the scope of work as, as your design and construction teams are chasing the project and maybe what, what the next level of innovation might look like at tech?
2: Well, we are, des- you know, we're designing and we're building facilities. We're not making up the programs. So we are working in an environment that is on the cutting edge of a lot of aspects of, of technology and research increasingly in the biomedical and medical fields. I mean, they're studying cancer solutions here, and they're, they're working in robotics at the small scale of an ant here, all the way up to very large. So it's, it's, the spectrum is, is enormous in what's being researched here. Tech is probably a bigger research facility than most people realize. It was certainly a lot bigger than I realize. And when we look at Pushing the envelope in construction it, it, or design management, it's simply to try to maintain a track record of delivering projects that meet expectations and, and maximize the program that can be delivered for the amount of money that's available. And that's simply looking around and at the tools that are in development in our industry and picking the best of them and using them and, and being willing to experiment a little bit. Um... We have a kind of a saying, we don't want to be serial number one, two, or three necessarily when we are going at risk for large sums of money dependent on delivering a, as much program as possible and as short a duration as possible. But we can, in parallel, investigate certain things. And we've done that.
1: You know, I I want you to toot your horn a little bit. You know, I feel like there's there's lots of stats out there that talk about, you know, Georgia Tech has the first, you know, let's talk about CODA, you know, first High rise higher education facility. I think you guys had one of the first underground uh, water systems, Um, you know, one of the largest green campus master plans. Are there any other kind of big firsts or, um, you know, ribbons that you like to attach to what you and your team at the campus have been able to
2: achieve? We're not very good at blowing our own horn, actually. <laughs> I mean, you um,
1: have a giant whistle on campus. You just—I <laughs>
2: know, I know. And we've had to tweak it so it sounds right. Um, you know, there's there have been a lot of things that we've done that we're we're very proud of to be part of. Our team is 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 amazingly talented and and very much cares about what they're doing, and that helps us push the envelope in a lot of different ways. I mean, we embraced and developed a, a reliance on lead The uh, USGBC's lead as a way of measuring uh, what we were doing with buildings. And I made gold our minimum standard when I got here and we've, we've delivered over five platinum buildings. We no longer can use that as a measuring device because of certain legislation that was passed, um, even though it was targeted at one specific uh, criteria, the, the pine lobby. But we have looked around. I looked around and said, well, let's use um, ASHRAE 189.1 because it's not a green building code. So it's technically in compliance with the law. It's a, it's a, it's a specification. Okay. And it's also embraces a lot of different areas. We're looking at the well standard for similar reasons. It's not a green building standard, but it replaces some of the biophilia aspects of the, uh, that we had with USGBC's lead. And right now we're looking at taking the information we've learned as we have worked on the living building challenge project on on tech with the Kadita foundation. Um, And we are looking at the materials and say, okay, what, what have we learned and what can we as a minimum use from those materials so that we're putting everything we're building our buildings with doesn't a harm the environment or B harm the people that work and play in the environments. You shouldn't have to, for instance, flush the air out of a building <laughs> before you occupy it because you know you put things in it that are off gassing formaldehyde i mean hello, <laughs> so it's we're we're strange. doing those things
0: <laughs> so Scott, you know our firm, and you know who our clients are um you know we work with a lot of the large, large brands here in Atlanta and beyond. Uh, Georgia, as well as some of the mid sized and smaller companies that may even do just, you know, specialized interiors work. And, you know, we're often coaching these firms on, you know, how do you make a difference in your RFQ submittal? How do you make a difference in your interview? Because, you know, our industry is what Katie and I often refer to and, you know, affectionately as a sea of sameness. Um, So there's very, I bet in your, your whole career you've never had a vendor come to you and say, hey, we we meet the schedule sometimes. Uh, we're okay at budgets and, you know, mm-hmm. we'll respond when we feel like it. <laughs> so a lot of times our customers are telling us that what makes them different is they're people and and they're, you know, super responsive and they are, you know, super smart. Their resume speaks for itself. How What advice do you have for, you know, that sea of sameness to really make a difference and make you feel like you trust them during the selection process to, to trust them with your project?
2: Well, I think it basically boils down to the people. We, we don't like, um, and it's useless to pursue a project if all you're doing is, is throwing canned responses from your shelf at the at it and you know you you show us 10 projects that the firm did which are similar to what we're looking for but none of the people you put forward participated in any of them so to the degree that you can highlight the talent of the people that will be in the various roles and responsibilities in what they have done even if they've done it for somebody else before they joined your firm doesn't matter that's the talent you're looking for that's in Highlight where they've worked together. I mean, in an ideal world, you want a team that's done very similar to what you're doing and work together as a team. You can't always do that. You can't always have that depth of talent that that, uh, hits a home run. But if we get 15 submittals or 20 submittals, it's usually pretty easy to cut them in half and say, these people weren't paying attention, A, to what we were looking for. They didn't listen, B, when we said this is the specifics that are important because they didn't feed it back to us in any way, shape, or form. And C, there's no people there that have done this work. So, you know, pictures on the wall for the firm don't mean much.
0: So interesting real-life scenario. We're in a you know conversation with a general contractor and say they have built you before and there's a superintendent that has long history – building on your campus knows your people knows you know that intrinsic value of understanding you know your expectations because it's in there but maybe the building type doesn't align with their resume and there's a new superintendent uh, that you've not worked with but he has a long resume of that type of building which is more important because that, that is a debate that we are often sitting with our clients um, trying to figure out is it somebody with the institutional knowledge of Georgia Tech or gsfic um or is it a um is it a person that maybe you know they're going to import from another office that has that type of lab experience and has built it all over the country
2: mm-hmm. it's difficult to answer because it just kind of depends on, on what the the recipe is it's like it's like Cooking in the kitchen, yes, you can substitute dates for sugar, um, and you may get away with it in a cake, but not necessarily cookies. Uh, I I would say you need need a little bit of both. You need some strength in people that have worked together. You need knowledge of, of what's important to the stakeholders you're serving, and you need the talent of having been there and done that, if possible, on the specific kind of project you're doing. Um, it doesn't all have to be in the same person. I mean, you can have different people on the team that, have, that bring those things to the table. But um, you need a little bit of all of it because there's, there's enough people out there that, that will have that. And when you're trying to shorten to three or four that are the best of the 20 or two dozen or so that have submitted, that's what generally we're looking for. And I think most people are looking for And So pick and and choose. I mean, is it the superintendent that's the most important? I don't know. It could be the project executive, the project uh, manager. But if you come in and you're showing me executives that look good in the presentation, they can talk. But we're never going to see them again when we are actually managing the design and managing the construction. That doesn't sell either. you got to have the people that roll their sleeves up and get it done and, and know how to be team members. Because we're looking for, like every owner, we, we want to hit on all the cylinders. We want to bring the project in on budget, on schedule, and maximize the program that we're delivering for that. In our industry, um, and I don't mean institutionally, all owners across the spectrum, I mean 75 to 80% of projects come in over budget and over schedule. That's unacceptable to us. We, we do not want that. And the way you avoid that is you, get, you hire the right people And you run interference to take the stumbling blocks out of their way and help make them successful. They make us successful at the same time.
0: So, in that um, same light, on the architecture side, you know, Georgia Tech is one of the most beautiful campuses in terms of really celebrating great design and architecture. And um, over the years, a lot of your um, marquee projects have. Included a local architecture firm team with a national firm. Is that always appropriate? Is that the go-to formula or not so much?
2: I would say it's always appropriate. It's hard to have a project led by someone who's not in your zip code. If you're going to have a meeting and they're just trying to Skype in or they have to fly in, that's not going to work day in and day out. Um, It's better to have leadership in the local community. And we have extraordinary breadth and depth of talent in this, fir- in this town, in the architectural engineering and construction space. Yes, you can have a specific expertise that's not necessarily here, or maybe the one that is here is tied up already on a team, whatever. And you can bring in somebody to augment what you have locally in your talent pool. But to me, and in, in what I've seen, it really needs to be led by local people.
1: If we continue down the theme of um, looking at your architectural partners, when you are looking at those firms, you know, possibly thinking about who you're going to consider to hire, how important or how much does their engineering and specialty consultants weigh on the selection? And then as a backup question to that, that we're often faced with our, our design clients is, does it matter if they have the same engineers or competition or do they need to, you know, push for exclusives with their engineering partners in order to win work at Tech?
2: I don't think they need to have exclusives. Um, one of the things that we, you know, I, I hate to say that it depends, but, I mean, what's important on the project? Is it, is it something that's we're trying to get down to net energy zero? Um, that we need somebody that knows how to do those kinds of systems? What's an energy use intensity, an EUI, and how do you manipulate the variables in order to get there? What are the sustainability features that are going to get you to the stated program intent that we're that we're looking for, and what are the consultants that are needed to do that? Where's the experience? If you've got the experience in one side or another, then yes, show that. If you don't, and it's something we're asking for, then don't bother to respond. <laughs> like I said earlier, but I believe the engineering is is a very important part of it from our standpoint as an owner at Tech. We're we're not building for the short term. Uh, These buildings are going to be around for 50 years plus, and so we want to have reasonable conversations about the different levels of of performance of equipment and cost points. We may say we'll pay more for this particular system because of the energy performance and how easy it is to maintain and take that. If it costs more out of another area of the project, because the long run, I mean, you know, as well as I do, like 4% or something of the life cycle cost of a building is up front. The rest of it's operations. So we're very much interested in that. I think engineering is, is a part of that.
1: That, that's super helpful. And, you know, Scott, I think you've shared a lot of really great insights with us. I do want to ask you one final question today. And that is, you know, the majority of our listeners are in the C-suite. They are principals, owners of architectural firms or engineering firms. They're also presidents of large, small, and um, medium-sized construction firms. So what advice would you give them as they are considering um, either chasing work or maybe performing their first project with Georgia Tech and your team?
2: Perform, that last part, performing their first project at Georgia Tech, uh, it's it be willing to start small. We've had lots of people that have come in here and worked as an IDAQ or a task order and proven themselves before they got something bigger. Uh, we've had the reverse happen, too. But it's more rare that somebody walks in and, and takes the prize job, and that's the first thing they ever do for tech. So, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's what comes to mind. It's uh, your question.
1: (laughs) I think that's super helpful. So, you know, For all of our listeners out there, just some smart tips, takeaways from today's conversation with Scott. First and foremost, you can find all the opportunities to work with Georgia Tech on the Georgia Procurement website. Register as a vendor. Get those notifications. Um, As those come through, make sure you fully understand the ask of the project and the scope. um, And look at your team, look at your expertise, your capacity before you decide to submit on a proposal. And when you do submit that proposal, make sure you are not submitting boilerplate. Scott and his team can see it from a mile away. They want to know kind of how your team is going to bring your expertise to the table, how you might approach the project, how you're going to work collaboratively together. Um, Be mindful of wherever the project is being funded, whether it's private donor funds through the foundation or through state bond funding, that team that Scott leads is going to be involved. Um, Also for our designers out there, the PDC is going to get involved in primarily the selection of those affiliate-driven projects for design, but they will also be involved in most large design projects as they're kicked off, meeting quarterly throughout the year, just giving some insights and some feedback as the design progresses. Again, um, for our designer listeners out there, when you are chasing work at tech, it seems to be a good formula to consider national design firms with a expertise in the building type, teamed with a local production architect, again, working collaboratively as one design unit. And lastly, you know, when you're pursuing work at tech, the people are gonna matter more than the portfolio that the firm brings to the table. So make sure you are examining the talent on your team, matching up the expertise of maybe understanding the project type, the intricacies of the building systems involved, really the scope of the project, If you can find the individuals with that experience that have also worked together, that is a formula for success. Just make sure that the team that you present to Tech is not just your sales team. It needs to be the team that's actually going to perform the work. And lastly, Tech is always building something. There's something new around the corner. So make sure you stay tuned as the campus continues to grow and expand. So again, Scott, thank you for your time. And everybody, have a great week.
2: Most welcome. Thank you. You've been listening to AEC Marketing for Principles, brought to you by
0: Smartigys. If you like this episode, please let us know by visiting aecmarketingpodcast.com, where you can learn more ways to position your brand and sell to owners.